Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dicing with Death. How you doing, Ryan? Hello. I uh, gave some pro tips on fixing lighting last week, and uh, on watching the VOD, I uncovered that uh, the lighting wasn't bad enough. Had to flip mm. the room. Mm. So here we are, mm. troubleshooting in action. As Perfect. a special uh, bonus for the uh, special necromancy edition of Dicing with Death, we have decided to give you a behind-the-scenes look of the recap recording process. 100% mm -hmm. intentional, 100% fine. Mm -hmm. It's authentic. It's beautiful. So, we're ending Mousefur. He's accomplished all of his goals. He's done everything he ever wanted in life. He almost won D&D &D if you could, because you can't really win, but as close as you can get. He's won Dungeons yeah. and Dragons and it was advanced. Yeah. Um... He's not in roll 20 and that's okay. What's going on in roll 20? What would I do there? I don't even know. Look at a map and point at it with me and go, oh, look at this over oh, here. I'm uh... pulling up uh, my spreadsheet to do mm. a proper recap. Mm. You can hope maybe you can do the same. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, that bears some, uh, bears our attention. Yeah. Well, uh, let me pop into roll 20. Let's, um, uh, let's talk about the Necromancer class. We made some changes as we went along, but how do you feel it was from a player standpoint? I had fun with this campaign. I hope uh, hope you did too. Well, was it good I, for you, Neil? It was, was it good for you, viewers? It was good for me, baby. Uh, but the class, separate from the campaign experience itself, what did you think? Uh, sorry, I'm trying to log into Roll20. I'm definitely mm. not evading the question. Mm -hmm. Just can't type and talk at the same time. I get that. Isn't that science or something? Typing and talking uh, at the same time? Do you have well, to manually put in your password every time you log into Roll20? How is, is it not just like a Roll20.com, then join campaign? Um, okay. it .net, apparently sorry. does not remember me and I wasn't planning on uh, rolling any mm. dice. So, uh, well, maybe you don't need to be in. Damn it. At this point, I'm doing it. Do it. Actually, I'm in. All right. Launch game. Hmm. And proceed to not need roll 20, but to need my uh, necromancer class PDF. Mm hmm. So the necromancer class, you're asking me. What'd you if think of it? it? What mm -hmm. I think of it? Yeah. I, oh. I thought it was a fun class, and I th there were a number of key, I don't know, class attributes or strengths or whatever features of the class that I thought uh, were interesting and fun to engage with and particularly well-suited for this uh, solo campaign. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think I've... It felt more like a villainous class, as I think it should be, right? Mm -hmm. Like this almost seemed like a cool way to roll out and like make a PC-statted necromancer, but this sort of thing is much more suited for a villain, right? Mm -hmm. it, so the first cool, one cool thing that I think it did was mechanized the 
aspects of the class we wanted to explore, the necromancy, the uh, soul-eating, and undead-raising. Well, I mean, zombie-raising is just, like, self, self-evident why that would be why that would be fun. Right. But the, you know, the year, mechan- like, turning years of life into a resource. Mm-hmm. I, the, I think that was pretty Incentivized necromant- necromancy. Mm-hmm. Mission accomplished. Right, I think this kind of built off of uh, the Georg campaign mm-hmm. with the Amulet of Malchus. But Definitely a source of inspiration. Into the class itself. Yeah. Um, I keep yeah. wanting to interrupt you with my thoughts, but I should just let you speak. I'm sorry. Let me, let me, ram- I've been rambling for a few minutes. So, well, uh, you care to, re- care to yeah. respond? Go ahead. It feels like the counterplay to the paladin, because mm-hmm. at least in second edition, paladins are like goody goody two shoe law. Oh, I shouldn't say that, but like super lawful good. And they're yeah. there to do good in the world. And if you don't, if you do anything bad, you like lose your paladin status. Uh, permanently, mm-hmm. and if you did something bad while under the control of someone else, you lose it temporarily and have to like fight to be good. And, um, I know the paladin class has been really cool, and people have always been frustrated that paladins are such goody goody two shoes. But I kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of dig that some classes play to certain alignments or personality traits, and so yeah. the necromancer class really felt to me like. You know, we've had good classes with good people, and here is a class that is, like, undoubtedly evil. But rather than trying to arbitrarily say, if you do a good thing, you fail, I just wanted... I tried to build it in such a way that to be a successful necromancer, you would have to do pretty terrible things. And I'm sure if you... Someone could play this class and be a good person with it. Or look at certain features of class. I mean, there were some some abilities that came along that... Mm-hmm. Right, I think are interesting, inspirational, like outside of the context of the class of the campaign. You know, like the necrograph, for example, that came up in the recap. Mm-hmm. That could be spun as a good, no, maybe not a good act, but like you can weigh the pro, weigh the weigh the good with the evil, and yeah. argue that performing a necrograph on the blacksmith is a good act or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. soldier. So there, yeah aspects of the eating souls i think it's probably hard to justify but even then there was like giving the life of the infirm child for the uh sacrificing that the uh soldier might uh right i don't know might walk again yeah and if you could if you believe in mercy killing you know you could harvest the souls of those that are needing to die or wanting to die to fuel your other magics mhm yeah, yeah. So I think, um, what did you, how, I tried to make the class so that you would be not very good in a toe-to-toe fight. Um, and I think we saw a couple I, of times some toe-to-toe fights here not work out. How did that I certainly feel felt that. Your... That was mostly the wizard Thacko at, at, in action. Mm-hmm. Because there are a number of necromantic abilities that are useful in toe-to-toe combat. Mm-hmm. The big thing that I... Big ability that saved this as a solo campaign. Well, I guess there are two, but one is spirit armor as a combat ability. That is a, a remarkable defensive ability, mm-hmm. and I think a good example or inspiration for how to make a solo character more survivable mm-hmm. in an interesting narrative way. Right, the the spirit armor spell basically extends the durability of a single 
character in the same filling the same role that Zweihard's armor filled, right? Soaking right. up damage. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said there, and then the, the second thing would be that the uh, minions, right? Undead minions, animated minions, which yeah, which also soak up damage, extend the durability of a solo character, mm-hmm. and give you some uh, some way to battle enemies without putting yourself in the front line. Yep, so those yeah. aspects made this, I mean, I think were the, are another key feature of the class, so one being the souls as, souls, years, whatever, as resources. As well mm-hmm. as HP, right? I mean, HP is already obviously a resource in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. But being able to interact with that more directly, like draining HP to boost your own and blah blah blah, was a different take on healing mechanics, HP mechanics. Yeah, and I thought I thought and, that'd be particularly fun because then you you can only make yourself stronger by making yourself weaker first. And it's a nice interplay that if you want to like cast a spell, you have to weaken yourself to do it, which is something I've always yeah, wanted out of my spell casters is the like each spell that you cast slows yeah. you down or hampers you in some way. So I think this is a good way to mechanize a lot of that black magic stuff, sacrifices that themes sacrifices and tributes came up quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A cool, yeah. innovative approach to, you know, black magic necromancy. So I think there's a lot of a lot of good stuff here in this uh, necromancy class. Yeah, for years in my campaigns, I've sort of like tentatively worked with a little bit of blood magic here and a little bit of blood magic there, and I wasn't yeah. sure how to make it work, and I think this is like the definition of blood magic. At least for now. The, right. Yeah, it feels like the current, the culmination of a lot of those. That's lot the of right way of current. saying it. Yeah. Um, not that there's not tinkering to be done. Certainly. There's always more to be done. There's nothing. Dark magics to unlock and explore. Mm-hmm. Not perfect yet. Nothing is. Um, I'm trying to find my notes. So, have you decided what you're going to do with this class? Are you still putting it off, putting off making a decision? Is it is this uh, class to be released? So, is it a release date to be determined? What are what are your uh, where are we putting that at the end of this? So, at the end of the day, if there's not a necromancer actively playing to build the class on. I just know I'm never going to finish fleshing it out, right? If Malsifer stops here, I'll probably just stop working on the Necromancer class, which, you know, it's not perfect. It could be finished out. There's a lot of cool stuff left to do with it. And there's more stuff to come back to. And, like, mm-hmm. Malsifer isn't dead. Right. He'll never He'll never die. He's, uh, he's, un, he's, he's master of death, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until he does. Until we, until we decide to. So there's, but there's, yeah. And like, I'm sure, right, this isn't the last, like, right, you're, you'll, you're, yeah, I don't know. There will be mummies in future Koibu campaigns, right? The high, high level necromancy stuff is not off the table. Yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, so I think we'll, so, so I guess what's your take on the rest of the class features? Are, are you, is this PDF going anywhere? Is it going up on real albums? Or are you not ready to, uh, publish the stuff yet? Are you going to keep it as your private DM? Uh, I would I like know, to publish it. Generator document. 
Uh, there are certainly NPCs around that are following this class. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll flesh it out through there. Um, I, I think uh, that's a fair approach, right? We've yeah. seen plenty of the low-level stuff leaked through this playtest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right through, and Nick did a one-session playtest of uh, his own uh, corpse maker. Mm-hmm. So generally, I was and, thinking... Uh, Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Oh. Uh, I, I was going to say that they were going to be um, each. How do I say? When we create undead minions, I want to talk about undead minions for a moment. When we create undead minions, they there are four intelligence categories for them. There's basic, simple, advanced, and complex. And my end uh-huh. goal was to have. Oh, and there's also three different types of undead. There's zombies, skeletons, and ghosts. Right? You know. Skeletons are obviously skeletons, zombies are skeletons with flesh still on them, and ghosts are incorporeal. It's the three different states of decomposition. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to have two different types of undead, so like two different zombies and two different skeletons and two different ghosts for each level of intelligence in the end. Um, Mm -hmm. So like you would have your basic zombie, and then then you would have like the more advanced version of the basic zombie would be the large. And then you have the zombie with simple intelligence, which would be the ghoul. And then the like more advanced version of the simple intelligence would be the nightmare. And then you'd have your advanced intelligence um, zombie, which would be a revenant. And then your secondary advanced intelligence version of the zombie would be like the zombie lord. And then your complex intelligence would be your mummy and your secondary complex version, you know, your greater intelligence your greater complex intelligence would be your greater mummy. And I mm-hmm. sort of have that for... I've got the zombies fleshed out, the skeletons sort of fleshed out. I'm just not sure where to put the Death Knight. It belongs in there somewhere, and I haven't figured it mm-hmm. out yet. There could be exceptions to your uh, to your outline. Yeah. Right. And yeah. every every undead creation is unique. Right? I think we joked at one point about having a... Uh, having a nerf on the necromancer where you have to name each of your zombies when you raise them <laughs> the zombies you can raise yeah in order to remember which so, ones are which they have to follow yeah, I was talking moves. about this mouse for spreadsheet and then I got distracted logging into roll 20 mm-hmm. seems like as good a time as any to uh, look at this guy here and see what uh, what this campaign nine levels of necromancy brought us so mm-hmm. right now the population of uh, I guess the armies of winter on Gadia are there's 510 raised dead. Uh, Is that your total number of raised? Total number raised and living or unliving, undead at the moment. Uh, we don't have like a head count on the total number of undead he created throughout the whole I not, campaign. Because I was deleting them as they were destroyed, which makes sense. Throughout but... the whole campaign, I wouldn't guess it's probably a thousand-ish. I would have to. Have to that's not even worth calculating. Don't. Yeah. Don't you viewers dare do that? It seems like a terrible waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, there's a couple companies of skeletons, dozens of zombies, higher-level skeletons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the spreadsheet's there. The army's still around. I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, well, we'll see, right? What happens to the, uh, to the horde? Yeah. Um. So the other fun thing. Okay. So we've already talked about creations. I sort of broke the class abilities into the necromancer class into three sections of abilities. So you've got your abilities, which cost nothing, pretty much to do. You just do it. 
Um, then you've got These your... are such abilities as being able to eat souls or drain life. Or know or... the, the lifespan of a creature. Yeah, interesting. Um, interesting uh, divination type un- undead abilities. Yeah, like being able to like lick sense, someone's blood sensing, and know who they yeah. were, you know, yeah. siphoning souls. Yeah. Uh, then we've got the, the creations where you raise things. And then we've got like straight up spells. And that's mm-hmm. the sort of way that I wanted to break it down. And we mm-hmm. got to a bunch of cool stuff, but like the really cool stuff comes into play right around where we are here. The the spell sensitivity to life, which we got at level eight, but didn't really yeah. get to use. We talked was about the it. That's start. the one where you ant your eyes to get in for vision. Mm-hmm. And right, we ran out of uh, ran out of campaign before we got a chance to see those abilities in action. Yeah, there uh, are. I think there's probably a few that I want to highlight. I don't think I want to share them all, but there's probably a few future ones I want to talk about. But let me find them while you prattle. Um, not sure what I, uh, what I had in mind to prattle out. Um, I mean, let's see. I don't know. I mean, I'll go. uh, Are you ready? (laughs) Yeah, I got something. So at ninth level, we get a, is it a spell or an ability? It's an ability called Satisfy Hunger. Um, I'm just going to read out the ability to you. By eating the heart of a creature with a similar soul size, the caster can permanently increase their max HP by one. This number is limited only by the character's maximum potential HP, the amount of HP the caster would have if they rolled max on all of their hit dice. Oh, did I just hit level nine or did I? You just hit level eight. Okay, so we're not even level. Okay, yeah, level yeah. nine has mummies and this cool ability. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So for Mouse, for for example, he is a level at level nine. His max HP would be nine times six, the D sixes that never right. for HP. So you so could have fifty four yeah. HP total. So you yeah. could eat hearts until you farm up to fifty four HP. Right. Yeah. The requirement and- for the spell can only be uh, can be obtained after using vampire touch on a creature. After gorging on the heart, the caster must spend a day of bed rest while their body absorbs and transforms. Gains and HP are all in the spiritual plane and balancing the caster's anima. Without enough life force to shield the spiritual force, the caster begins to grow weak to sunlight, first suffering combat penalties, eventually taking damage, and finally being destroyed by sunlight. So the idea is that you eat other people and then you use their spiritual force to, like, you know, tack it on to your actual physical force... But then you've got so much, like, spiritual force out there. There's a lot of weird interplay between spiritual and life force throughout this document. Um, But the idea is that you can eat people's hearts until you become, you know, maximum potential HP. And then we get the counterplay of, but you grow weak to sources of, like, positive energy. As soon as you've used this ability, you are now sensitive to sunlight? Uh, well... Yeah. Eat a heart. I mean, it says the caster begins to grow weak and then suffering combat penalties and taking damage and finally being destroyed, but it wasn't fleshed out. But like, if, if, you, have, if, that if would be. you have used this ability to increase your max HP, you take that penalty, whether you've eaten one heart or. Right. One of the things I'd, I'd like to flesh out is, you know, how many hearts, how much hunger do you need to satisfy before you, you know, how, how much do you need to eat before sunlight destroys you? How much do you need to eat before, like, you take D8 damage, right? So that, the specifics need to be fleshed out, but the concept is there in full. 
Hmm. You know? Yeah, it would probably be... Would, I mean, if we had gone through this with Mousefur, you probably would have left it vague and we would have gradually described mm-hmm. descent to uh, vampirism. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You know, you start eating some hearts, and then one day, like you get sunburned really easily and the next, you know, you keep eating more hearts and pretty soon you start like stepping out into the sunlight and it actually hurts right away instead of just being sunburned and so forth and so on. Yeah. And there, you know, that that's very similar to the sensitivity to life where you consume, like you enchant yourself with spiritual magic and then grow weak to life force and like high energy things. And that's the like later progression of the class. And these are also like optional things that you don't have to do. But once you head down this route, this path, you can get really, really powerful as a character in exchange for like trading off a different weakness. And I like that it's not just like a you're better, but there's a there's a a trade to be had and you can pick and choose which trades you want to make depending on your class. Like if you roll really well on HP, maybe you don't eat hearts, you know, and uh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And same with the sensitivity to life. Like, I think in Mousefur's case, it may have been handy to have Infravision working with Undead. But this is something I've mentioned over the course of the campaign, as I can imagine Necromancers making use of only some of the necromancy abilities, mm-hmm. right? Or even pulling out one of these abilities or these animations and throwing it into a campaign to spice things up, mm-hmm. even without making use of the full class. So, yeah. So the example I think that I had brought up previously was a more warrior-focused Necromancer, which Mousefur kind of was. Mousefur had high strength, things like that. So, like, and you were talking about I mean, these abilities being inherently evil, but you could use this, use features of this class and never raise, never animate an undead. Totally. And just make a, have, like, a high strength, high dex, high con necromancer that's, like, using spirit armor and using spiritual weapons and maybe draining HP and stuff to fuel their combat abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just, you could yeah, just like a yeah, like a yeah, go since ahead. necromancers aren't they don't have an armor limitation. You could make a multi-classed necromancer fighter who like wears heavy armor, fights people on the battlefield, and like absorb like drains the life of the people that surrender or the people that are like trying to escape or flee. Mm-hmm. Like that, it could be really cool, especially if you have unholy strength and you wade into yeah, battle, and then the there's a ability. giant yeah. and. You know, you you unholy strength yourself up and, to 18-100 and yeah. fight the shit out of these things. Mousefur used that to pretty good effect. If you mm-hmm. had a few higher strength score, strength points to begin with, it could be even better. Mm-hmm. Or if you just like, if you knew that you need that you had a ba- big battle coming, it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to predict how long you'd need it. But if you knew you had a big battle coming, you can. You had to give up HP for unholy strength, right? Yeah. So having yeah. really high con or a, and a warrior multiclass could give you a larger HP pool. Mm-hmm. And then you use that like with the heart eating or something crazy. Yeah. And use yeah, heart eat hard eating hearts. Then you could just become a really yeah. badass tanky warrior, but then like goes around eating people's hearts and souls, and you sort of like, you know, maybe that's how you get Vlad the Impaler. Is he's the yeah. fighter necromancer multi-class, You know. Yeah. And you can even ha- imagine like minions of the necromancer getting the benefits of these abilities, or just yeah, ta- like using like using that sort of thing or like yeah mm-hmm. or tossing that into campaign like spiritual weapon can be enchanted and handed off right right, right. So you, yeah so you can have a fighter that tags along with a necromancer and wields the spiritual weapon and gets this unholy strength 
I guess the uh, spirit armor is just on the necromancer, I believe. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I want to touch another. On... Oh yeah. Which one do you want to talk is about? A more general thought. I think. I think it lends itself to the success of this character, but it also goes to show why you don't. Why every D and D campaign isn't like this. I, the experience of playing this class was, for lack of a better word, very very dark. Right, like it mm-hmm. was, it was sometimes challenging, and you would see me. I think w- w- during RPing, sometimes breaking, struggling between third and first person, and finding it really awkward to describe in not awkward, like I don't know, dark or whatever to be describing in first person, eating souls and sacrificing babies to dark gods and necromancy. Right, it doesn't. Yeah, it didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt yeah. evil, right? super evil. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of fun. By the end, it was a little—it's a little draining, or it could, yeah, mm-hmm. has its effects on the player, right? Which yeah. I think is uh, a feature, not a bug. But I think that attests the uh, success of the uh, class construction. I, I do too. I think a good role-playing game should at points give you pause and make you have to be like, "Wait a minute, hold on, my character's doing this." I'm like. There should be some interplay and some interesting effects right. from and a good role yeah, game. You see this in standard campaigns when you're like having those moral questions. Do I murder everyone at the tavern? Do I not? Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a goblin and me anyways? Mm-hmm. But this was one step further across the line, right? Is it okay to eat the baby soul? What if it's super optimal and it gives you the most years out of all mm-hmm. the, all the uh, human sacrifices? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a soul. Yeah, that's fun. Speaking of eating souls, I want to highlight another feature. The level 10 Vampiric Feast is another necromancer ability. It's very similar to the necromancy ability of Drain Life. It's sort of like a souped-up version, which you get at 10th level. Uh, But instead of just, like, touching a creature and draining their life to get more of the the evil, dark theme and, like, get closer to the life source itself... Uh, I'll just read it to you. By drinking the blood of another living creature, the necromancer heals and restores themselves. With a willing target, the caster can drain 8 HP per round. With an unwilling target, the caster can drain 1d8 HP per round. For every hit point drained, the caster gains 1 HP. So the regular drain life is you drain 2 points of life just by touching to gain 1. And Vampiric Feast, instead of just touching them, you actually like drink their blood to get a a 1 to 1 ratio. Um, hmm. If the target is of the same species as the caster, they can instead convert the drained HP into life force at a rate of one year gained per two HP drained. Uh, where, as we've seen before, the original uh, Eat Soul is one year for 10 years. And so this is one year of life for two HP, which brings up a lot of interesting things, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, Those that make use of the spell may conflate the euphoria of gaining HP or years with the taste of blood and gain a taste for it at best or an addiction to it at worst. And this, to me, like, brings up some really interesting stuff. Because if you can drain people's year life to give you years and it has no HP or uh, SP cost to it, then if you get, like, a group of people who are your willing servants, you can go and, like, drain some year from HP from them to boost your years, then, let like, let them rest and recover, and then you can just sort of, like, 
feed on people indefinitely without ever having to kill someone to gain your years or to you know gain your HP back. Do they uh, have, which, does, the, does the victim has to be willing? Nope, nope. Uh, if they're willing, you go. It's just a faster rate, and if okay. they're unwilling, it's a, a slower rate. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, there's a bunch of other really cool things. Yeah, the high level abilities are cool. Kind of spoilery. I don't know how many. I'll let you decide which ones. Man, I want to talk about them all, Ryan. Yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's do it. it. Say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. Fuck it. We'll Well, do it live. I mean, well, I want to read some of the higher level abilities, but I was going to mention a lower level ability that I spotted while I was searching for Vampire Feast was the Phantom Feast. Which oh, we didn't yeah. see in Mousefur's campaign, but I think that's an example of a cool, inspiring whatever ability from this class that doesn't necessarily need to be in the, like the need to be in like you can introduce that into a campaign without playing with the full blown necromancer class. Mm-hmm. Phantom Feet was the the necromancer volu- like giving their body to, to followers to feast upon or whatever, and they had the fun. I don't know, fun is the right word. Here's me getting into. Uh, getting into that dark place again, right? The, mm-hmm. the side effect of uh, developing a taste for human flesh. Because I mean, who doesn't love a little bit of cannibalism in their dungeon? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to read out the ability to people so they know what you're talking about? Uh, Phantom Feast was uh, by, I think we probably talked about this during the campaign, but I'll go ahead and uh, read it off. By presenting a part of their body and declaring a feast, the caster imbues themselves with magic caster and a number of people equal to the caster's level and they eat the flesh of the caster. Each person needs but one mouthful of flesh to nourish them for a week. Although the spell does not stave off effects of dehydration. The caster takes an amount of damage equal to the number of people in the feast plus three. Interesting. Okay. The caster's flesh regrows quickly but the damage they take is real. Cannot be healed by magical means. Creatures one size larger deal more damage, smaller creatures deal less. It is not uncommon for creatures who use the spell to develop a taste for human flesh, assuming the caster is human. Those who survive on the spell for too long may find themselves repulsed by normal food. Which is nice if you have a party. You know, it's one of the few Mm -hmm. party abilities that the Necromancer has. Right, right. This I could have totally seen this coming in in Frozen Frontier. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, if you had pulled Ferris off screen and been like, look, here's the spell that I'll let you uh, I'll let you drop at some point by surprise in the campaign. Convince mm-hmm. the party to eat your flesh and uh, stave off the hunger through the blizzard. Oh. If only we had made this class before Frofro ended. Would have happened. Missed opportunities. Mm. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. So, um... We probably tease long enough. Let's uh, let's read some of the higher level abilities. Sure. You want to do those honors, or were you trying to um, avoid responsibility? I'll I'll start with Soulbind, another level ten. I believe this is a spell. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the it, it costs five years to cast, and it reads the eyes of the wind. The eyes are the window to the soul, and by the means of this spell, the caster enchants their own eyes. When a person with a soul looks into the caster's eyes, their spirit becomes intertwined with the caster's on a small level. The target is allowed a saving throw to negate. 
If the target fails, they feel a deep, personal, but unspoken connection to the caster. The effects will fade over the course of one week per caster level. If at any point during this effect, the target makes eye contact with the caster again, without the spell being cast, the bond is renewed and strengthened. Further castings create a more intense bond, eventually achieving a thrall-like state. The more the target is bound to the caster, the less extreme their own emotions. Deeply bound individuals may be listless and without purpose when left to their own devices, barely sustaining themselves. At no point in time can the caster directly control the actions of those bound to them. So this sort of creates a, you know, you, you're almost not quite stealing their soul, but you're wrapping your target's soul around yours and sort of like weakening them on their own like spiritual level until all they do is kind of stand there and obey what you tell them to do. Um, when I was thinking of this, writing this, I was thinking of... Did you watch Doctor Who, Ryan? Did you watch a lot of Doctor Who? I am not a... I, what do they call Doctor Whovians, Who fans? I don't I know if I've ever even really... I've seen like one or two episodes of Doctor Who ever. I'm not, right. a, I'm not, a, Who, I'm not a Whovian. Okay, well, there's not... this one <laughs> monster in Doctor Who called the Silence. And the way that they work is like they've existed on Earth for a long time. If you you can never remember them, like if you see them, they're weird. And but the moment you look at them, you've forgotten their entire existence. But they also make you very subjective. Uh, they make you what is it called? Um, uh, susceptible to suggestion. So they've sort of like existed among people for all time and have been shaping the course of human history to try and like get humans to do certain things because people will listen to what they say, but then never remember them. And there's one person in particular that the, the the party in Doctor Who runs into who's like running this orphanage, but the orphanage like closed 20 years ago, but he thinks the kids are still there because he's surrounded by these silence guys who are like constantly looking at him and he's like following their orders and then forgetting everything. And he's just like this hollow shell of a man with no real thoughts or personalities sort of living in this weird past. And I really, really liked that sort of depiction of the thrall state of a person subject to this, like, thing that looks at you and forces you to do things. So that's where I got the soulbind from. It's and I, it's one of my favorite abilities that we didn't get a chance to get to, uh, especially because it's so weakly worded. It leaves a lot mm -hmm. of interpretation for the event and what exactly is going on, you know? It's not a charm. It's a deep personal connection, you know, which I guess maybe what charm ought to be, you know? Yeah. It's a nice take on that, uh, on the charm ability. A yeah. different, a, a necromantic spin on a uh, classic spell, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> uh, that's one I deeply enjoyed. Do you have another one you want to talk about? Well, the big one is big one here is emphatic focus and that's like a page really... of text do we even want to do we even want to read into that yes it's long it might be too long to talk about emphatic focus we'll uh we'll think about that and uh, and then tooth and claw is the level oh. 12 ability yeah go for that one that one's good yeah, this is one I was looking forward to. And this was another one that I thought would be good for a fightery type necromancer. Mm -hmm. So uh, it costs six years. Uh, by channeling 
a full year of their life into, a, in this case, six years of yeah. their life, right? Into a momentary outburst of energy. The caster grows claws and fangs for a turn. The caster is proficient in these melee attacks, dealing d6 damage with them. The spell can be cast instantly and continued without recasting, although each turn is maintained, drains, each turn it is maintained, drains another six. year or probably six years yeah. of life. Furthermore, these melee attacks can be made in conjunction with touch spell attacks, allowing the necromancer to cast Tooth and Claw, attack with Fangs, hit for d damage, cast Vampiric Feast, right? Using their, d- using their teeth to eat. Mm-hmm. Maybe even use it. Can you turn them into spiritual weapons as well? I believe so. That's the next right, sentence, so if you've actually. Got more years into it, you could get an extra d6 necrotic damage with them. Mm-hmm. Since the teeth and claw, right? They're li- since they're living or once living, they can be enchanted with spirit weapon. Okay, that's the next sentence. Right. Although spiritual weapon cannot be cast in the same round as other spells. Right. So you couldn't cast vampiric touch and spiritual weapon, but you could cast tooth and claw at the same time as you cast spiritual weapon, and you do like a big spiritual weapon, so it'll last for three or four rounds, yeah. and then you'll be doing two d six or three d six or whatever damage, and then you can also you know vampiric feast and drain life or. Uh, whatever other abilities and that kind of turns you at this point around the level 9, 10, 11, 12 is where you start merging into actually being able to be a solo fighter or a solo character on your own making a beast of yourself to feast Mm -hmm. I bet if you uh, lawyered real hard or maybe uh, devised another spell you could uh maybe argue that you could extend these claws like perhaps six, even ten feet away from <laughs> from your person. Uh, reach out. Monstrous troll-like vampires. Reach out from beyond the grave and drag people mm. into it with you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. We also, have, in action. we also have Mind Over Matter. It's an 11th level ability. This ability projects the target's spiritual force throughout their body. This shuts down all bodily functions, healing, heat generation, aging, etc., and renders the target resistance to all non-magical sources of damage. There's an asterisk next to non-magical, which we'll get to later. As the soul is self-repairing, damage sustained by the target heals at 1 HP per turn. A turn is 10 rounds in 2nd edition. Furthermore, as the target's spirit is masking their body, they become very sensitive to silver and unable to move against it. A single thread of silver draped over the torso of a fallen target would prevent them from moving, and the target would be unreflected in a mirror since, you know, they don't interact with silver well. And mirrors are, in the olden days, silver polished really well. Uh, This silver sensitivity lets weapons made fully of silver, not just lined with it, cause full damage to the target. The spell is permanent once cast. uh, Resisting targets must pass a saving throw versus spell. The spell takes a week of prep time in a special place, a full day of casting, and a recovery period of about an hour. So Mind Over Matter allows you to transform yourself into something that will regenerate quickly, but then has all these other weaknesses in the same vein of the other things we've had now you don't just have the vulnerability to sunlight or to high magical sources or running water but now you gain this vulnerability to silver you can be weighed down by it you're not going to see a reflection in a silver mirror but you will regenerate but you'll also lose all like heat generation so you'll be cold to the touch but then you also won't age visibly and it's one more like step in transforming the necromancer from a person to like a creature of negative spiritual energy 
that then like interacts with the world. And that's sort of where the class is going is it's, it, you know, once we get to a certain point, you start dehumanizing yourself and turning yourself into like a crazy monster that's super powerful, but like you lose your humanity and your spirit and your soul and you become vulnerable to all of these like other high energy sources, all these positive energy sources. A lot of these high-level necromantic abilities, spells, are more like rituals, right? Where you're, mm-hmm. you do the do the prep, do the dark ritual, and forever change your character. Yeah, which Make the sacrifices and uh, there's no going back. Yeah, which is pretty different from many of the other character classes, where there's no like personal changes that overcome you, right? A twentieth-level fighter is just a slightly better stat block. The necromancer has the option not the, the not the necess- doesn't need to but can uh become a di- an entirely different creature by the end of it so you start as maybe a a plucky human who inherited this kingdom or this this barony or whatever and then by the end of your when you're a 20th level necromancer you're some sort of like monster that can't uh, can't go outside and has like weird control over other people and raises the dead and sucks out souls but like you know can't step out into the sunlight and can't wade through running water and isn't reflected in mirrors and is you know harmed by silver and i think we can all see where this is going right yeah and we've been hinting at it for for months don't we don't say it don't say it don't Don't say it it. you can't the names of the winter gods they they can hear you. Mm-hmm. They know you're talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of these types of, I, I don't know, concepts like this make their way into D&D campaigns narratively, right? The sacrifices to dark gods, right? These dark pacts, whatever, mm-hmm. in exchange for boons, right? I mean, like... Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. not an original idea, but I think it has mechanized well in the context of this class. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't intended to start out this way. Mm-hmm. I started just writing abilities because I wanted cool necromancer stuff. And then when I got around the level, near level eight or nine, I started running out of things. And I was like, well, how does a necromancer... Like a high-level necromancer, is it still just a regular person? What does it look like? Which is when I started hitting on these, well, you turn yourself sort of into an undead for greater power. Um, Which is fascinating to me. I don't know. I'd like to... I, I think it would be fun to play something out far enough that you eventually become, like, a hermit living in your own abandoned castle surrounded by your mindless thralls and people you've enchanted and ripped their eyes out and given undead limbs to yeah. controlling your minions it, from afar. Yeah, and I think it can probably help you uh, with your NPCs if you play out this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or you just do that in your prep, right? Your GM prep. Yeah. Like, tip, that's more typical, right, to have the evil necromancer lord as the villain. Mm-hmm. And you give them abilities such as these, right? And playing them out in a yeah, mechanizing mm-hmm. them is yeah. Yeah, one of the other things about necromancers is that that for me thematically they always have like a nighttime darkness feel to them, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't imagine a necromancer like skipping down the road in the middle of the day, followed by his you know skeletons. It just 
that doesn't feel right. So I wanted to bring the necromancer into the darkness, like literally, not just metaphorically. Um, yep. And these these things do that. Yeah. Mummies and liches. I don't know if liches are in there. Mummies are a high level undead creation. Liches are immortal mages, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I don't you think you would. A uh, you make yourself a lich. Possibly by the end, yeah. Yeah, certainly. But mummies are in the uh, in this class as written. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are mummies and greater mummies and commander knights and skeletal mages. Yeah, the skeletal mage is one I was having trouble figuring out how they would cast spells. Like, where would, would they just be regular wizards? Do you have to kill a wizard and then raise it as a skeletal mage? Or does it get specific, like a set yeah, list of abilities? I, have, I mean, I assume you would need to raise a mage as a skeletal mage. I don't think you can, or at least some arcane enchanted bones. Mm-hmm. Right? You Either a mage or some some special like some narratively justified, like you, you could imagine, I don't know, some extra planar whatever bones mm-hmm. being able to justify making that a mage, but I think the most obvious way is to animate a maze, mage, which Malsfer has been dragging around that mage skeleton for a while. Mm-hmm. Currently a specialist, but... Right. Um, and a suge- an idea I had would be to use the mage's spellbook in the creation. Mm. So like you imbue the skeleton with a set several of the spells that it had previously mm-hmm. right so the cap not only have the mage but also have their spell book and i don't know burning it in the creation ritual or something and somehow permanently imbuing them with a few of their known spells mm-hmm. so like you would make a skeleton and maybe the skeleton mage only has like a couple spells per day that it gets to use right right and so once a day the skeletal mage that in life knew color spray can blow off a color spray or depending on the level of the caster or I don't know how many years you give up in creation or who knows maybe you roll off spell learn chances to see if you can stick spells in the mage it's an interesting interesting roads to explore but that's that's what I was thinking too but the problem I kept running up against was what happens when you have five or ten skeletal mages? Like, do you have to keep track of all of their individual spells? So I kind of wanted a stat block that you wouldn't have to, like, micromanage ten different things. That it'd all be the same one stat block, but I couldn't figure out a way to make that work. If you don't want to micro 400 skeletons, don't raise 400 skeletons. That's a good point. Um, And I think the mass combat system is something that we're probably not even going to talk about today, but that's a whole other can of worms. Probably not, yeah. Um... But if you don't want to deal with skeletal mages with sap blocks, you can make a whole bunch of skeletal mages that just have magic missile, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not worry about it. Yeah. Or like, if you have specific needs, then you've got to you make a skeletal mage with specific spells. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I like, so you could record, I've got a skeletal mage that knows magic missile and phantasmal force or whatever, and it's just got its, you know, that's, like, basically in the name of the creature, right? It's... It, Skeletal Mage with the, just and the, I think it only had like for an NP for a automaton minion having just a couple spells is fine. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I think the way to do it would be to have them use their HP to cast their spells, so that that way mm. they don't have like you can cast five magic missiles a day, but instead like your first level spells cost one hit point, your second level spells cost two hit points, your third level spells cost three, or probably like you know, two, five, seven, or something like that. Some sort of progression. So that way they, 
the skeletal mages are limited by their own HP in the same way the the necromancer is. Maybe. Yeah, that's a much more involved minion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. It's complicated. Yeah. Luckily, we don't have to solve that because uh, Malsifer is over, and uh, I don't need to worry about how to make this happen. Yet. Yep. I think it's time to talk about empathic focus, though. Unless yeah. you had more that you want to talk about mages with. No, let's check this one out. Do you, do you want to read it? Should I read it? This is another one of those ritual spells. Well, I'll start it off, and I think there are many subsets to it. So mm -hmm. the general idea with empathetic focus, empathic focus, I don't know how to call it yet, uh, is this. While the spiritual plane is too alien to be understood by mere mortals, including ourselves, an experienced necromancer has many useful insights. The material and spiritual worlds are parallel to one another. So when the body communicates in the material plane with words and gestures, so too does the spirit communicate with emotions. If a necromancer wishes, they can attune their soul to these communications, which has a profound effect on their being. This door once opened cannot be shut, and there is no going back. So the idea is... Like, we've got the spiritual plane, the, the living, the material plane, and you exist in both of them at the same time, and we only really notice what's happening on the physical, the material plane, because we are material creatures, and we're not really spiritual creatures, so we don't really see what's happening there. Uh, but, like, when I say, hey, Ryan, what's up? I'm saying something, and I've got, like, some hand gestures in there, but there's also, like, the, the spiritual communication, which we might call empathy or, like, emotional communication, which might have to do um, in the material plane, like, you can tell it by tone of voice or maybe context, but that's the roundabout way of, like, accessing the, the spiritual communication. And so the idea here is that the necromancer is now more fully aware of like communication on a spiritual level and not just on a material level so they can control their spiritual communication with other creatures uh, with other people and this has a profound effect on their being uh, the first effect is emotional numbing uh, the necromancer will be feeling all of their own emotions and the emotions around them, uh, of those around them, much more strongly. Even minor emotions can be overwhelming, and the only way to deal with these intense levels of emotion is to desens desensitize yourself to all of them. So if all of a sudden, you know, if right now we're listening to emotions through the vague, like they're from the spiritual plane, but we're in the material plane, so we don't like we're sort of in tune with emotions, and then the necromancer can really hear them, it's going to be loud. It's going to be like a big cacophony of emotional noise. And so the only way to handle it is to just kind of like numb yourself to everything. And so you become sort of like an emotionally numbed character by by interacting with this, which is a hard thing to RP, I think. You know, it, it's definitely a major character change. And the other part of emotional numbing is the intense feelings. When a necromancer does engage with an emotion, they deal with it in its extremes. So hunger, which is sort of an emotional state, becomes ravenous. Anger becomes murderous. Sadness is like soul-wrenching. So if the necromancer does not numb himself to something, whatever he feels or she feels is widely and strongly uh, magnified. Do you want to talk about emotional and passive projection? Yeah, get into the good stuff. So that all is nice, I don't know, narrative 
Um, emotional projection. Um, as emotions are just a form of communication, the necromancer can project theirs onto others, just as one can shout over another speaking. So you can speak on the spiritual plane, mm -hmm. projecting emotions. When the caster projects an emotion, they force the target to make a willpower save, probably adjusted for the level of the necromancer. Mm -hmm. Maybe the necromancer's own willpower, maybe it's like an opposed willpower save. Yeah. Or become overcome with emotion. Um, characters currently opposed to the necromancer may save with a bonus ranging from 10 to 20. Elves and other em empathetic creatures have advantage on this save. The easiest emotion to project are fear, desire, and indifference. Creatures feeling fear either flee or fight with penalties, minus two to hit and damage. Other emotions need context to be understood. Is the necromancer causing sexual desire while trying to seduce the target? Are they causing greedy desire while discussing a reward or payment given to a hireling? Are they causing hunger desire while inviting someone for dinner? Careful consideration needs to be taken when projecting emotions. Other emotions can be projected but are saved against with a significant bonus. So the main mechanical thing here is being able to project fear, but then there's also a bunch of RP-related emotions to project. Yeah, and I think the fear is the the obvious fun mechanical advantage, but the other things are the like more interesting RP advantage. At least to me, where like you want to get someone to do something, and maybe you don't want to outright bribe them, so you can sort of like enhance. You can sort of almost charm them in a similar way that we had the uh, what was it, the soulbind thing. But you like project emotions onto them to maybe try and manipulate the their background stuff to get them to do what you want them to do or whatever, or at least like cause emotions to arise in people, which they may interpret in, you know, fun ways. Mm -hmm. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, some other, uh, I don't know, benefits, side mm -hmm. effects, features of this empathic, empathetic focus, uh, passive perception, projection. trying not to, passive projection and perception coming up. Oh, that, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, projection is when not trying to project an emotion, the necromancer still speaks more clearly to others on the spiritual plane. So you are more in tune with the spiritual plane. And this has the effect of people taking more notice of, taking notice of them more. Mm -hmm. With a little practice, this passive projection can be attuned in one direction or the other, giving them a light aura of emotion. This could be mistaken for being highly attractive. Desire cause discomfort, fear, or discontentment, indifference. <clears throat> so so others, are, others are innate or subconsciously sensitive to the spiritual power of an empathetic necromancer. Right, so uh, a necromancer with this empathic focus in play walking down the street, if they are passively projecting desire, then like as they walk down the street, people are like, wow, look at that fucking hottie. Holy shit, they're so attractive, wow. <laughs> or if you're sort of like trying to project fear, you might walk down the street and everyone's just weirded out and creeped out by you and you want to walk away. Or, or yeah. you know, if you project indifference, then maybe they're just sort of like frustrated or discontented by you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the passive perception is in the company of others, the necromancer can detect unconcealed feelings directed at them. Mm -hmm. So you would be able to detect if someone's angry at the necromancer, blah, blah, blah. Characters actively suppressing their emotion may remain undetected. 
Right. So don't think about how hot Lord Winter is. <laughs> Which gives you the ability to walk into a room and immediately like that person is here to kill me. I can feel their anger and hatred towards me. I know it right away. Sort mm-hmm. of like allowing the necromancer to witness the world around them on a different plane altogether, which I think is super fun. Yeah, um, and emotional reading by staring into the eyes of another character and listening to their soul carefully. The caster can read the character's emotions with exacting detail, bordering on reading their mind. The target character gets a willpower save. If eye contact cannot be maintained, a grip on a vital part of the character may suffice. Mm-hmm. The character who understands what is happening can actively resist and makes their save a plus 10. Right, so, so you can, like, look into someone's eyes and know what they're thinking, or if they're trying to resist, you, like, grab them by the neck and still, like, you know, read what their emotions are on a, a very deep level, yeah. which... And then, yeah, mm-hmm. another bug is this personal space. Right, let me do the personal space one, because that one... Yeah. That one was yeah. the hard one. That's... That one was difficult to write. Um, But the idea is that all creatures have a sense of personal space, which the necromancer can feel very closely. You know, personal space is a thing. We all have it. We're all aware of it, but we're not, you know, it's an unspoken thing. It's on the spiritual plane. Uh, So the necromancer knows exactly how far someone's personal space extends and exactly when they push up against it. And this, this ought to be a minor footnote along with other interesting effects of commuting on the spiritual plane, except for one major thing, right? Who really cares about knowing how where someone's personal space is? Except for blessings of the gods. Any consecrated space is scattered with bits of life force and acts as like a, a blinding wall of white noise should the necromancer enter into it because now you're you know, connected to more to the spiritual plane, so extra life force and spiritual force tend to you know, interact poorly. Um, in practice, this prevents the necromancer from enti- entering sacred areas and causes them pain and discomfort when presented with sacred objects. Uh, perhaps most important of all is the blessing of Nerul, the goddess of the home, the hearth, family, and society. Uh, unbeknownst to most people in daily life, Nerul blesses each and every home that is actively lived in. This protection is that feeling of being home that you get, you know, after you, you have a long day of work and you're out in the world and you come home and you feel like more relaxed because you're in your own blessed and consecrated personal sacred space. Uh, and blessing the home... Wait, wait. Sorry. She blesses each and every home that is actively lived in. The protection is This protection is the feeling of being home that people get. A certain comfort and ease that is so elementary we barely notice it when we have it and desperately want it when we don't have it. Unlike other sacred sp- spaces, the blessing on the home is only a problem for the necromancer when the necromancer is an outsider. If the members of the home are favorable to the necromancer or have invited the necromancer within their own confines of personal space, the blessing ignores the necromancer, which effectively prevents necromancers that have attuned with empathetic focus from entering uh, any sort of consecrated space that they weren't invited into. So they wouldn't be able to enter into temples or holy grounds or people's homes unless that personal space was, you know, implicitly permitted. 
Um, and I think at this point it's become too obvious who necromancers end up being or what they end up being, sort of. And that's, that was an ability that I really wanted for the necromancers, this ability, this like delving so deeply into things that you, you get rejected by regular aspects of society, you know, with, with some areas around it and some other really cool features of being able to work on a uh, empathic empathetic Spirit, level of spiritual level right? yeah yeah and that's that's the idea for where this goes yeah i think this has been a good uh, wrap up of the class mm-hmm. have any uh parting words is there anything uh you want to clarify I don't think we've seen the last of necromancy necromancy here on Dicing with Death, or uh, certainly not here in uh, the world of Dungeons and Dragons or the world of Arcadia. But. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's about it. Um, we've sort of settled it by now. Um. I don't think there's anything else left to say about the Necromancer. I think I will publish this PDF. Mm. But when you look at it, remember that this is not even a beta build. This is like the pre-alpha, still-in-development build for this thing. Uh, And if any of you ever do end up playing a Necromancer with this character class, I would absolutely love your feedback. Because it's been fun to make and it was really fun to run. Uh, but if any other people play it, I, w- I want to know what it's like for you to play this. Is it, you know, how did your campaign go? Did you find something to be too overpowered or too underpowered? Granted, I'll probably ignore all of your balance um, feedback because I yeah. I value my own opinion too much. I'm too self-centered to, to care what you think, really. But, like, but, I do want to know how it works out for you and how, how yeah, what you get out of it. Deep malaise overshadows your whole life or if uh, you find yourself sensitive to sunlight if you get a if you get a sunburn in the coming months mm-hmm. or if you find your arms growing slowly longer reaching out from the grave to grab do you let us do let us know in the uh youtube comments yeah twitch chat right now i guess you can't be play testing right now as we're going yeah the disco show up in the disco that's a good one um and i chat guess about, the chat about some necromancy Shit. That's, uh, that's, yeah. Cancel. Cancel. Don't I do almost, it. I almost so printed the will probably document. be somewhere on regalgoblins.com at some point. Is that, is that where it's going? Uh, or, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't figured out. I just now decided to do this, so. Okay. <laughs> Impulse decision. Aren't you, aren't you glad we caught him live and got him to, uh, agree to share this, uh, share yeah. the alpha notes? Oh, God damn it! it did print it. I tried to cancel the print job before it printed, but it's too late. So I if you know, uh, I would a like to play copy. test this uh, character, show up at Neil's house. He just printed out a copy for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, or even, I mean, I could see looking at the PDF and even, I mean, even if uh, like there's one ability that's like, ooh, it would the villain that I'm working on for my campaign would be sweet with this ability. Mm-hmm. This is right. The, this is the place. Yeah. Throw, throw with a withering touch into your uh, your campaign, or use a Neil. The I really like the uh, the mini, like the 
Yeah, like you, the Neo. I like the ghoul in this uh, mm. uh, in this character more than the stock Tui ghoul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, yeah. One thing that was we talked about this, I think, at the time that was interesting about running undead minions versus like living minions is you can sort of disconnect from them, not worry about their uh, their lives or Im- imagining people dying. But blowing up skeletons' heads is super fun. Right, because when you have, like, an army or you get your dogs and you want them to be in combat and then they die, it can feel kind of, like, sad or frustrating. Like, you went through all this RP to get these people and now they're all gone. But here, you just fucking raise minions and throw them at people, and it's delicious, right? Right, Yeah, and I think the skeletons and the the zombies stat blocks and stuff that you've got here were more fun than stock maybe a little more complicated but like having the skeletons taking double damage from bludgeoning and blowing up skeleton heads was a fun way to run things big tanky strong zombies with that 18-90 strength mm-hmm. there's cool stuff here uh i, I don't know, know what's going on but, but for this is an announcement oh, yeah what are we are we glitching yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to link planes. the document to people, and, but whenever I put the document in Twitch chat, it just doesn't send us a message. Like, maybe Twitch won't let me send Dropbox links? Maybe Twitch has banned necromancy. They, they know it with dark secrets you're trying to spread, Neil. Send it over here? Interesting. If I send it through, through OBS, it sends, but if I send it through the actual Twitch dashboard, it doesn't send. That's so weird. So, so if you're weird. watching Twitch chat, there's a link to it. Is that going to be available post-Twitch? Or Yeah, I will put it on Regal Goblins. So yeah. if you're watching the VOD, track that down. I don't know. It's probably in the Discord already. It's probably... Uh... Yeah. yeah. Um, you can find it if you're interested. Now there's only there's one more thing as far as I know that we can talk about here, and that's what is next for Dicing with Death. Uh, what do we have? A new character, don't we? Isn't that how it always goes? Once mm-hmm. one dies, we're on to the next. Mm-hmm. Once you make a necromancer that's uh, unkillable, you uh, retire them and move on to the next. So. Uh, in typical Dicing with Death format, we switch off back and forth. Uh, I believe that's what we would be doing this time, right? Yeah. You, you will wanna, be DMing Elder player. player. Yeah. I will play. I would happily play a character. Sweet. Mm. Let's at least give you. Do you want to roll up stats so you've got something to work with and think about? Or do you want to just do the whole character creation another time? Well, uh, before deciding on that, are we going with a um, a berserker? Uh, Is that the class? I, if you're into it. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Am I into it? Of course I'm into it. All right. Next character will be a berserker. Um, maybe for... VOD's sake, we're going to bring the cut here, right? We'll cut here. Necromancy chat. Uh, Uh, If you're watching live, there will be at least a little bit of berserking on the other side of the break, but uh, probably tune in next week for the uh, the the session. session, yeah. All right, so we're going to take a break, and we'll come back and roll some stats, 
and uh, start playing with the Berserker. So see you on the other side. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dicing with Death. Hello. We are rolling a new character. Yeah, and um, we're going to do it with real dice. Because that's how we do it here. Oh, you know what? Hold on, let me pull out... Since we're leaving Malsifer behind, let me pull out my bone animal dice and roll those. Ooh, I think I got those for you. Yeah, you did. These are... Happy birthday nine years ago, Neil. Oh, thanks, Ryan. These are some of my favorite dice, and they get so little use because they're kind of small and I'm afraid of losing them. But I get... I'll pull are there out. enough D6s in there? This is the wrong set of dice. No, I think I'll have to probably roll them one d6 at a time. Where are my bone dice? Or you could do like uh, use d8s and just re-roll if uh, if it's above a six or something. Right, right, all right. Whoa! Apparently, you're only eight years old. I uh, see. What I did oh is I God. gifted these uh, gifted these dice to Neil's mother before he was born. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, these these bones are older than Neil himself, older than the universe. <laughs> All right. You guys are just going to have to trust me on here when I roll these oh, things. But why a, would I lie to you? You're a professional DM and you don't have a dice cam? <sighs> All right. My dice, I do have a dice cam. I actually set it up so that my camera would face down on my desk so I could roll dice and people could see it. But it's so nice out that I transitioned that camera to my outside nature cam. So we, I lost my dice cam to make a nature cam. You can blame it on the deer all you want, Neil. We know you just uh, you just aimed the camera outside so you could uh, fudge the dice rolls and hacks the hacks the dungeon mastering and uh, never know. All right. Well, I'm going to start rolling things and I'll put them in roll twenty as I roll them. So here's the first d6, one and uh, two. You weren't going to roll three d6 or something. And four. Uh, I was going to roll 3d6 and a range. Okay. Yeah. So one, two, four is a seven. Awesome. And then a five, a six, and a two. Five plus six plus two is 13. All right. Now we got a, a one, a six, and a six for another 13. Oh, 3d6. I love you, but I'm never going to get any good stats. A 2 plus a 5 plus a 2 is a 9. That's 4 out of 7. 3 plus 1 plus 2 is 6. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. If I get a 6, that means I should also get a 15, right? Got the same chance of happening. Three. Yeah. Plus five. But you're only rolling six stats. Three plus five plus one is nine. Uh, so I'm just doing six stats. We're not doing a perception stat. Oh yeah, do a perception. Use the two point Neil character sheet. I think. Sweet. One. Fuck. Plus one. Oh, leave me with six stats. Leave me with stick stats, Ryan. Plus four is six. Uh, so I've got seven, 13, 13, nine, six, nine, six. Ooh. Where were you? Were you writing these in the uh, in the old? Oh, yeah, I wrote them in the old roll 20. Shit. Let me put let me put them in the new roll 20. 
Uh, here we go. I, I told us to transition and then I didn't. Okay, here we go. Bam, although I'm no longer Qualnir. Um, Those are terrible. Mediocre oh. stats, but I think the way that I built this class, I took some inspiration from some of the necromancy stuff that you did and some of those Wyhard stuff that we've done mm -hmm. and kind of like buffed a class in ways that would make it suitable for a solo adventure. So I think even with passable stats, we'll probably be fine. But you can certainly uh, mulligan mercy kill this uh, character under your role if you'd like. Average stats are 8 to 13. I've got three sub-average stats and no above-average stats. The temptation to re-roll is strong. <clears throat> so strong. <sighs> I feel like have the... I have been really <laughs> hampered by crap stats in the past. You know? Let's do it. Let's re can I can I do 4061? Yeah. That, if yeah. we still had the numbers, I would say roll a fourth dice and drop the lowest. Ooh, but I, I, I have the numbers. I wrote them down. Really? Because yeah, because I'm on top of my shit. All right. Why don't we uh, upgrade this character to a slightly more heroic character by uh, dropping the lowest of each of those die rolls? Okay. Let me so just roll seven more d6s. Yeah. Let me just put it in a format that is consumable. Consumable. Don't eat the dice. <laughs> no, they're bone. But seriously, Neil. Mm. Do you watch? Have you watched I, Santa Clarita Diet at all? Uh, no, but I uh, saw a commercial for it. It's pretty good. It's I, about like... Premise. It's you know, about uh, zombies, right? Real life zombies making their way in Southern California. Yeah, a, a couple of realtors, you know, realtor couple. Um, one of them turns into a zombie, but they like continue their suburban house selling life. And now she just eats people. But there was a a moment in one of the more recent episodes where she gets a collection of someone's baby teeth that they like gift her and she's just like munching on them like snacks and her husband's like dude what what is going on she's like oh they're like corn nuts they're, i just can't stop eating them anyway don't munch on bones That's guys serving yeah all right i'll roll an additional d6 for each of these and we will sort it out so the first one is two plus four plus three Ooh. So two plus four plus three becomes a nine. Nice. The 13 is five plus six plus three equals 14. Nice. The next 13 is six plus six plus, come on, six. Come on, six. Six! Sure it is, Neil. Sure it is. You believe me. Do Why would I lie to you? 18. If I was going to lie, I would have just lied when I was rolling the 3d6, you know? No, I wouldn't have made it believable. You you dragged us along for uh for this emotional roller coaster. 2 plus 5 plus 5 is a 12. That's manageable. Um and what's the next one? 3 plus 2 plus 2. Lovely. Uh equals 7. 
and 3 plus 5 plus 5 equals 13, and 4 plus 1 plus 2 equals 7. All right, so what does that leave us? A 9, a 14, an 18, a 12, a 7, a 13, and a 7. That is a much more interesting barbar uh, berserker class. So uh, I guess the question is, where does that 18 go? Oh, certainly in con. I think a lot con. of people would be tempted to put it in strength, strength because it's such a mechanical advantage. But I I honestly find myself frustrated with really high strength characters because they overcome all of their physical problems so quickly that they are almost boring because they're unchallenged. And anything that is possible to challenge them also just like one shots them. So they become really glass cannony and they, I find 18 strength characters a lot less fun, but 18 con, especially with a bar, the berserker, if I understand it, you get a lot of like bonuses to damage from the damage you take gives yeah. me that same like damage buff, but also something to work with. So I think 18 con berserker is going to be more fun than 18 strength berserker. Yeah. Yeah. The fights will last longer. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a reasonable decision. Yeah. And then the 14 uh, just doesn't really matter unless you're like unless you're like looking to play an elf or something. Yeah, I mean, actually, then you would get a penalty to con. Yeah, not worth it. Do or do like if you want, or like if you want to try and play like a half orc and lawyer up a bonus to strength. Ooh, a half orc. Or I'm like, so used to playing humans that I hadn't even considered a half orc. I'm actually thinking playing maybe a halfling berserker. Halfling berserker <laughs> running around at like knee height with an axe, just like chopping people's legs to bits. Oh, Neil, I'm not. That gives you a penalty to strength, I think. Right? It and does. I could be a, a dwarven berserker, get a bonus to con, have 19 con. Yeah. Um, I guess I didn't uh, didn't restrict the uh, species of this class, at least yet. It'll be like my necromancer sneaking in with a substandard con. By the way, Neil, you can't actually be a halfling. You have to recontextualize your entire history. Now that we're at episode seven, sorry, your your class changes. No. <laughs> you weren't I, really a halfling. You were, uh, yeah. <laughs> you were just a really short person. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's take a look at half orc because they that is a real thing. Um, and I think a half orc berserker is thematically really cool. Let's see. Or like a. Uh... Hobgoblin, or mm. I don't know, mm -hmm. a half ogre. Depends how far you want to push it. Full ogre. Why don't you just play a minotaur? Play a threekin, Neil. Let's see. Half orcs. Do they get any racial bonuses? Oh, they Maybe must. They I think I'm just looking in the wrong area, I think. There you go. Half orcs get plus one to strength, plus one to con, and minus two to charisma. So that would put me at 15 strength, which still is no uh, damage or attack bonus. And 19 con. And then minus two charisma. I'll probably bring me to like 10 or 11 charisma, I think. Um, and then does it give you infravision? Uh, 60 foot infravision. And then yeah. maybe some weird racial penalties? Um, no, just infravision. Okay. Yeah. 
That could work, I, unless I want to go full skills and powers, you know. Oh, where is that? Where the, What are you looking at here? I'm Isn't looking at the skills and powers, right? But you can oh, do, yeah. you can do like racial abilities where you grab like, instead of getting Infravision, I will take like, you know, a plus one bonus to one weapon of my choice and a plus one bonus to damage with one weapon of my choice. But then I don't have Infravision sort of thing. Um, and that might be an oh, interesting way to go. I'm I'm open to character customization. Yeah. Lines, if you'd like. Yeah, that's well, fine. I know this is later than our usual time, and we may not be able to really do an hour of character creation right now. I mean, I think the idea with rolling was to uh, give you a. Uh, you, I mean, you can work on your character over the next week. Yeah, um, so you're cool with me while. making the character without you around. Yeah, that's more or less fine. We can like talk about it pre-show next week and make sure everything's okay. Okay. Uh, it may be a good time to like skim through the character class level one and like ask any questions while you've got me here before. Uh, yeah. Before I turn you loose, I don't know if you had a chance to read. I have read class through it. Stock. I'd like to take a uh, pull out a couple of interesting things. The first level ability called Wounds. Each successive hit against the Berserker is recorded as a separate wound of minus X HP. When the Berserker's total H, uh, HP from all wounds exceeds their HP maximum, they must pass a will check or fall unconscious. That, yeah, so that's second part. I mean, yeah, that's... Uh... So you to can... Be, to be beta tested, I suppose, right? The The resisting unconsciousness with yeah right. willpower uh, checks is yeah but any but the wounds idea is more, it's more or less my rewriting of your of the wound system or the hp system you're using in a kuba knights and mm -hmm. we've, we've played with various hp systems like this over the past right mm -hmm. so the, the so, next one so in this campaign we'll be tracking tracking attacks individually wounds individually Right, right. And probably doing and doing a modified healing system to take care of that. And then the key feature of the class is this uh, this next bit. Right, which I am... I think it might be overly strong, but we'll read it as it is now. We'll play test it. The Berserker deals bonus damage equal to the HP loss of their largest wound. So if I get stabbed for six, I get plus six to damage. Yeah. And so I guess with this, I mean, that's just, these sorts of abilities are why I wasn't super concerned with your crummy stats initially, mm -hmm. right? So if you if you are wounded, you get you, have, you don't necessarily need high strength. You'll just get a bonus damage, mm -hmm. bonus bonus to your damage rolls. Right, and that's Previously, why I, I this was to uh, get a bonus damage equal to the total number of wounds you have. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably more imbalanced, especially at higher levels. I don't know. I think that's probably more balance right i mean at level one it might be fine to have like if you've got 10 max hp if you're at one hp you're getting plus nine to damage well i guess it depends how many wounds oh. that's spread over right because that's right, going to be spread over like three or four wounds so you've got a bunch of small wounds whether whether i mean we I, maybe we, we'll play with both mm -hmm. and, and see which ones we like i don't know well so we'll play test this but the general idea is as you take damage you deal more damage right so, I, that i the general idea i'm super on board with yeah yeah uh, and then battle scars when a berserker is hit with a critical hit they make a saving throw its success is recorded as a battle scar berserkers gain a plus one on charisma checks for each battle scar a failed save results in exploding crits or you may throw the bones so uh what is throwing for the reference bones? exploding crits is 
uh, again, my rewriting of your critical hit system where you get 2x, 3x, 4x, damage, 4x criticals. Mm -hmm. uh, throwing the bones would just mean you take the gamble of rolling on the critical hit table. Either, oh. either the uh, combat tactics one or one that we would generate over the okay. course of the so it's like, okay, I don't want to take double damage, so I'll take the risk and risk losing an eye or having my head chopped off or, right. If That's it's, actually, if it's just a crit, yeah. I like that. Being able yeah. to say you've been crit, you're going to take extra damage or you can roll on the table. I think that's a really fun way to resolve crits because sometimes the critical hit tables, like if we do them all the time, they become problematic. But giving mm -hmm. you the thematic ability to take it an injury instead of extra damage, I think is super fun. And also yeah. if we re reverse it to NPCs, then when you like, if there's a, a really interesting named NPC that you as a DM don't necessarily want to die, when the players hit it and do a bunch of damage, you can like start wounding them and giving them some, so, like, I think that's really clever, Ryan. You've hit on something yeah. fun here. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And mm -hmm. it might even be fun to make some new crit tables over the course of this campaign. Like, I'm looking forward to exploring other aspects of the combat system through this uh, through this character, right? So if by avoiding, ma well, there will be some magical stuff, but yeah. by avoiding a lot of the magic spell crafting stuff, we can dig into some of the combat systems. Mm -hmm. And then the charisma bonus may need to be modified. I don't know. I think I thought it'd be interesting. It's not, I don't think I want it to, it's not increasing your charisma score. You're just tracking the number of battle scars you have, which I don't right. think you get out of hand. Like how many times do you succeed at, at charisma checks? And another thing, this will incentivize you to put yourself in situations where you'll get crit in the face and build up battle scars. Mm -hmm. But the idea, I liked the idea of a high-level berserker having a couple battle scars and being able to, right, they, because they're this battle-scarred warrior, they're, you know, if they're trying to intimidate enemies into retreating, they, they roll as if they have their charisma score plus five or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe if they're leading leading uh, minions or whatever leading soldiers in battle they you know their mor morale checks are have the bonus as if they had plus five on their charisma because mm -hmm. those battle scarred veteran right so right. we'll, we'll play test that and see if it gets out of hand if it's the kind of thing where you're like i've got plus 10 charisma i can't be right i'm i don't know it's not it's meant to be situational and narrative right so it's not yeah, right. and that of hand will bring in check. It's not like you get to walk into the bar and sit. I mean, maybe you do get to do slates with your battle scar. We'll we'll see how. It, yeah, yeah. It, uh, and um, also, I think as the necromancer class, like we changed the rules as we went along. We nerfed some things and buffed some things. Yeah, I feel we'll be like playtesting this character. Yeah. We'll we'll nerf and buff it as we go along. Um, yeah, the other a couple of the other key abilities. So one of them is using animal skins as armor. So I'm imagining that your character will not be armored. No way. And we will narratively introduce uh, like these animal skins as semi-magical items to be quested for or whatever over the course mm -hmm. of the campaign. That will probably be some of the early quests introducing these. But this is another one of the class feature. The general idea is you protect, protect yourself with skins of animals that soak damage um, mm -hmm. to boost survivability of the solo character or in some cases, grant various abilities, which we'll explore over the course of the campaign. Uh, the other low-level ability is this uh, frenzy ability, which allows you to work yourself into a frenzy, forcing you to take extra attacks, which, uh, yeah, we'll also play with. And these are, yeah, I don't know. We'll yeah. Yeah, dig into that in combat. But 
unless you have questions or have discussion you want to. Uh, I just want to touch on the natural healing with this yeah. additional HP system where we track wounds instead this will all be of. This play tested, so what's mm -hmm. written there, take it with a grain of salt, but yeah. Right. But uh, every 24 hours of complete rest restores one HP to the lowest damage wound. So if you have like a 5 or 10 HP wound, that 5 or 10 HP wound will stay until all of your lower wounds have healed and then yeah. that one will heal and i'm sure we'll come and up with some sort of like may, we may not like that if it's like once you've got a five hp wound you're getting plus five damage for days and days and days that may not be how we want it all to interplay together but so we'll test out the natural healing right I think, what, how do you handle i meant to ask how you I mean, how you're handling healing into the nights is this, ah. is this the rule you're using um it's like every three days of complete rest all of your wounds heal by one um, mm -hmm. And if you have like not complete rest, just like partial rest, then it's every five days or every week, all of your wounds heal by so one. So the original, uh, the original wording of this was every day you restore one HP to all wounds. Mm. Um, but that's which, a little strong. I mean, I meant for it to be supernatural healing, right? But that's a bit much. And I actually dialed it back. I, I think it was uh, uh, Old Mighty's suggestion on the reddit and i dialed this back to one hp to the lowest wound i'm also intending on introducing various so you won't be able to heal yourself with clerical magic or whatever in the campaign but we'll have like various alchemical options for interfacing with uh, the hp system so being able to apply poultices to increase healing rates and other such items and probably finding npcs that may be able to heal you mm -hmm. um okay. so we'll play test the healing system Nice. And then one armored or Doran's only with skins. Berserker has AC equal to dex yeah, score. So, there are, so these I'm also interested in feedback on. A couple optional rules I had. Um, the first that I actually just added you may not have seen is the vitality under hit points. So optionally at level one to increase survivability, uh, you can just take HP equal to your con score. So in this case, take 18 HP at level one. Mm -hmm. Rather than starting you at level three to increase survivability, or letting you start with max HP of 10, I was just like, okay, take HP equal to your con score. That is optional. If you don't want to play on easy mode, we can have you roll for HP. And then at higher levels, you roll for HP. Um, and then similarly, the agility ability, which is what you just read, is to take AC equal to your dex score. So if you take that 14 and you put it into dex, or if you take that 13 and you put it into dex, you'll have 13 AC or 14 AC. Um, I also thought... Another option there might be to like incorporate your level into it. So like 10 plus your level or your deck score, whichever is lower or whichever is higher, or we can we can think about that. So I'm looking for feedback on pretty much all of this. Yeah. From you or uh, or the viewers. Well, I think I'll want to play around and dig in at first before giving any feedback. I don't think it would be constructive until I've had yeah. do some you time have, to play it. Yeah. Do you have a? Uh, do you have an initial impression on that vitality optional rule? Do you think you want to roll for HP at level one, or how do you like the idea? Of, and this, uh, this, these optional rules, I thought, I mean, it, it's easy to introduce them in the context of a specific class to keep them contained. But I mean, these are rules you, I think, would be interesting to throw into a general D and D campaign, right? Mm -hmm. We've made different systems where we had different HP whatevers, but I think this is a pretty simple fix. Like, okay, level one, instead of rolling, take your con score. That will put it in the realm of 6 to 18. It makes it independent of character class. That's right. a solid approach, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking do you, about... Do you think you want, so do you think you'll want this character to... Do you think you want to roll for HP, or do you want to hmm. take it on? 
Well, you can think about it, but I was just, I was just curious. Yeah, because I'm starting with 18 con plus one from if I'm a half orc. That's 19 con. That's 19 HP at level one. That's so the equivalent to HP of a third 19. level fighter. You know, that's a yeah. lot. Right, and we've done like Zweihard. I think started at level two or level three, and that made that's it true. right. And with Frofro, we started at level three. So yeah. This would be an alternative. It lets you explore the level one content while still having the survivability of a level three character. Right. And I don't know whether you'd also, you probably, I would, my first thought was that you wouldn't also get your con bonus, but I could see if you well, want to go super easy mode, getting the con bonus and starting with 25 HP or something. So uh, you, I'll let you think about whether you want to throw the bones and roll for HP plus your con bonus or just take the 18. Depends how, yeah, depends how hardcore you want to roll up this character. Yeah. Um, I think the last few characters I have played have been disappointing for me. Like, they, they oh. never did the things that I wanted to do. Not like the campaign was disappointing, but, like, I, my characters, my stats let me down, you know? They, my yeah. my so eyes were bigger than my soul, so let's do it. I'll take the 18. And then we'll yeah. roll from there and let you take your usual combo bonus. Do you sure, 18 sure. rather than taking 18 plus the HP bonus built in? Um... Or make it 25? Do you want it, should it be non-linear or, right, so, like... If you just take your stat, then you just get your stat. But if but taking your stat plus the bonus would make it like blow up, like yeah. And it also might mean war warriors would get more HP than a mage taking this optional rule. Right, right, yeah. Well, I, I'm playing we a warrior start, subset, should... so I should get my con bonus, right? Yeah, I mean, so I'm open to that as well. You can we can think about it, or you can just take the. We'll try. Like, it. It's a solo campaign, so balance doesn't really matter. I'm looking up. I want to look up the ability scores. What does 19 con give you? 19 con gives you a bonus to poison save. It would give you plus five hit point adjust if you're so if we're 24. So it'd mm -hmm. be 24 HP at level one. I think yeah. that's fine, right? Let's do it. All right. It's a solo so we, character, so it's fine. We don't have to balance it around a party. Otherwise, I would be wildly broken. But yeah. if it's a solo and character I, class, and that's I think great. for this, it will it will probably uh, yeah we'll explore the combat system and it, having some cushion will be nice, right? We can do bloody protracted battles where you're exchanging blows and collecting wounds and getting frenzied and mad mm -hmm. attack bonuses. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that'll be fine. I think uh, I'm also going to go down a dual wielding route, so I'm not sure how to yep. uh, adjust it so I don't get crazy penalties to hit. But I think it only makes sense if my berserkers got like. A spear so, and a hand axe or something, and is oh, others this will be fine. And the advantage of dual wielding is if you're accumulating wounds, you'll get those bonus damage on both hits. Right. Um, and then one thing to note is when you're frenzied, your bonus attack does not take dual wielding penalties, even if you, even though it's required that you make an uh, an offhand or unusual mm. attack. Okay. So you can make so that free that frenzy attack it will be with your offhand, or you can bite, or you can kick, or do whatever. I mean, it's, I kind of hope to encourage creative combat with this ability. Right. Right. By, okay. By force, so you can't use your main hand, but you can use your offhand without penalties. Um, I like it. I like and then it. you can take uh, you can we can use proficiency slots to give you dual wielding. If you really want to go easy mode, you can do burn two proficiency slots and do dual no wielding plus ambidexterity for uh, no, no penalties, penalties yeah. I think. So see how you want to allocate weapon proficiencies. I'm not even sure how I... So one other thing I want to roll before we wrap up, I think is your 
starting funds if I even want to do that. I'm kind of hoping you'll roll low and we can uh, use that because you won't have armor to buy. Actually, maybe uh, maybe we shouldn't even use fighters. So 140, I don't think is going to work. That's way too. I, <laughs> I won't mean, need that much money. I'm going to buy like a spear and an axe, and that's and probably that's basically it. free, right? And then what do we? And I, I want there to be wealth and loot and things in this campaign, but I also wanted it to be such that more mundane objects are treasured. And I will probably play with the weapons. I would like to give weapons more individual character. Here mm -hmm. I am, just yeah rambling brainstorming about a lot of things i wanted to do this campaign but so like having a an ordinary axe that's right but that's still got some flavor to it right it's why hard made these like bogwood axes so introducing weapons that are more interesting maybe that are breaking more often mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. having your trusty axe be a be a sweet weapon yeah maybe um, it breaks on critical hits or critical misses something <clears throat> like that yeah, and having and skins will be uh, interesting, but semi-disposable weapons that will probably break occasionally, and you'll need to go out and replace them. Mm -hmm. So these sorts of the equipment stuff we'll explore. So in light of that, I want it in that I wanted to justify some of the stuff narratively. I'm not sure what to do with all the money, but hmm. Hmm. And I don't think a berserker should start with fighter funds. Right. Well, maybe this... I was gonna... Here is where I'm thinking of having this class. If I'm going to do the half-orc, I'm going to want mm -hmm. to... Um, I think what would make sense for, like, a berserker character who is kind of broke would be to be, a like, born into an orcish society but rejected because I'm a shitty half-orc and my yeah. personal story arc will be, like, trying to be king of the orcs or whatever. And that leaves me with, like, ostracized from society with just my few weapons and no funds. And mm -hmm. it gives me something to work towards. I don't know if that's what you want to run with. Yeah, I wanted it to... Be, I think I want to do more of a wilderness -y campaign. Like, I don't think I want us to be in a city dealing with Paul. Like, I think we'll be in the woods dealing with combat, right? So... Mm -hmm crushing goblins in the woods or hunting wolves or I don't know. Right. Right. And not having to worry so much about the morality of murdering the the tavern keeper. I don't yeah. know. Well, um, I mean, Dyson with that has always been a slightly evil we, campaign. I don't know. I may want to re... I don't know. We'll see what you come up with in terms of backstory. We may want to reskin half work depending on the campaign setting, which I think we should also probably touch on. Are we not continuing in your world? Uh, that I wanted to ask you what you think. Do we want to? So an idea I had for a Berserker campaign would be to pick up center around uh, Wodeheim and the Elfwood, which mm -hmm. is uh, one of Solomon's early cities. And I think, you know, Qualmir has been around that area too. So mm -hmm. basically have a, have a wilderness -y campaign centered in and around uh, in, in the woods there. Mm -hmm. um, it also presents a nice, I think it's a nice uh, cultural backdrop for the Berserker class. Um, yeah. So, so you'll probably be an outcast. I, I think that's allowed, great. But allowed but shunned in the city of Wodeheim and mm -hmm. then uh, and mostly adventuring around that area. So I think that's, I mean, so if that's, if that seems amenable, 
we can that's, set the game in there. That's perfect. I want. I would like to Another. play the outcast half orc who has like no allies and nothing, like there's no support and is sort of on his own. I'm yeah. really down we'll, with that. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what NPCs we can introduce and how you'll choose to interact with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we can think about that. Um. So I'll probably give some of those as options throughout the campaign and see where we take them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Cool stuff. Um, so I will flesh out the Berserker, my character class, before next, before yeah, our session. I don't session. think there's much to do. I mean, you can think about backstory and a name and your motive. I don't know if you want to come with motivation. Oh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, reward system XP. Mm. Um I had kind of neglected that, so I had options to give you. And I kind of, I, mean, I guess we can leave all the options on the table and let you adjust accordingly. Um, so one thing you might have noticed, it's just a small line on the second page or something, is uh, Oath Sworn. So once bound to an oath, a berserker pursues with religious fervor, and fulfilling an, fulfilling an oath grants you a thousand XP. Ooh. So if you're like, I swear that I will uh, hunt the white stag, I hunt and bring down the white stag, you make that oath, going and questing and killing the white, the white stag and the mythical white stag in the woods will give you the fast XP. Or you're like, I promise that I will help defend your household from the, uh, from the, from the incoming goblins. You know, you, mm-hmm. you swear that oath, and if you succeed, you'll get, a, you'll get a, basically making it milestone XP. Right, so right. Your character can, in character, yeah, swear these oaths, make these yeah. bonds, fulfilling them will grant XP. The other option would be to do H uh, hit die based XP. So basically rewarding you 50 XP per goblin here, or whatever we whatever makes sense in the context of the uh, berserking that we uh, wind up doing. Mm-hmm. So we can either do, I don't know if you want, if you have an interest in doing one or the other, or in doing both simultaneously. Let's do it all. Let's explore every option of this class, and then as we go along, we'll see what needs changing and what works perfectly. And some I of the game stuff for is everything. probably applicable beyond the class. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, this last page here with the with the crit rules that I've written out, the alchemical reagents. I even wrote up some metal descriptions based on uh, a lot of this is based on your rules, but also clarifying clarifying them in my own wor- in my own words. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff is more general than just the class, but we'll get to play test here in this campaign. Nice. Well, cool I stuff. think um, we are ready to go. Uh, I will try and fill, I'll probably have this be a Monday or Tuesday stream to fill out this character sheet. And we will definitely dig around in the skills and powers and find something that works well. And then we'll submit it to Ryan for approval or rejection. And uh, I'll work up probably a pretty light backstory and hand it over to you um and we'll just see how it goes yeah i think we'll uh yeah we'll see i do have like an npc in mind for starting things off a uh i don't know but i don't know if you'll want it so i always hesitate to give you npcs because i sometimes you might just murder them um I, I I try not to murder cool named cool NPCs, but I think we'll yeah. probably start off with you basically getting uh, I don't know shunned out of Wodheim and venturing into the woods. But we can introduce an NPC to give you some guidance along the way. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll prep some stuff. 
might even renew my uh, roll 20 whatever subscription to mm. uh, throw together some battle maps. Maybe I'll see if I can find some map assets. Ooh. Find some foresty scenes or something for us to poke around in with dynamic lighting. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll... See what I can drum up. Yeah. We'll figure it out. So, thanks uh, for watching. Um, I'll let's see if I can link this Berserker class in Twitch chat. I'm going to link this. If this like links to my Google profile, hopefully a mod will delete it quickly. Um, <laughs> I think that's a proper way to link the doc. Um, it's also it's on the subreddit what buried way back when you can find it if you're interested if you're watching the bots um, it's a work in progress we'll be beta testing throughout the campaign um, you got comments leave them in the disco leave them in the reddit or tune in next week anything else we want to touch on any uh I don't think so. I think that's it for this week's Dyson with death guys we'll be back with a berserker next week. See you guys later. Do you want to give us our traditional goodbye? What's with that? See you on the other side? Never mind. See you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.